Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, good morning, C4. How's everyone doing today? Hello to you in the north. It's great to see you. Uh, So have you ever tried to measure up, you know, like you just want to be the best one, you know? You want to win the race. You want to, you know, just be better than the next guy, right? I mean, who wants to be the loser, you know? We spend a lot of our time trying to measure up. I spent many years in education. I love kids. I actually some days think I just want to go back to hanging out with kids because they're just great. I was standing, the bell had rung, recess was over. Kids are getting in line, you know. Of course, they're never quite as orderly as you want them to be, but I'm standing there waiting for the kiddos to get in line, and I can hear this conversation going between these two kids, and this one kid says, my mom's better than your mom. And I just thought, I'm going to wait for this. Like, what is going to happen? The other kid says, yeah, well, my mom gives me ice cream. I thought, well, that's not very good. You should do better than that. But the kid comes back, well, my mom owns all the ice cream. So I'm thinking, well, I'm waiting. You know, what will the response be? Well, my mom knows the woman, the lady who owns the ice cream store, And they're friends. This other kid says, well, my mom owns the Dairy Queen. And she was right. Her mom owned the Dairy Queen. Talk about one-upmanship, you know? Like, we're always trying to get to be better than someone else. I mean, I remember, I wasn't a great athlete, but I remember running track and field probably because we had to. And I was, like, doing those hurdle things, you know? And, And for the most part, like, I did okay and... And then I remember the day when the race came, and oh, I was so nervous, and well, everything fell apart. Clearly, I think I I knocked over most of the hurdles and barely finished the race. I was clearly feeling, in a race, it's pretty clear who wins and who loses, right? It's pretty clear. We're always trying to measure up. We're always trying to figure out, are we good enough? We compare ourselves with other people, and we actually want to know down deep in our soul, how are we doing? You know, like, how am I doing? And certainly when it comes to our relationship with God, we often, we might not say it out loud, but we want to know, like, how am I doing? Do I measure up? Will I come out on top? Well, today's parable Actually, as we're looking in this series at the parables of Jesus and what an incredible storyteller Jesus is, I'm going to share with you one of the parables that actually addresses this issue of how do we measure up. You see, whenever you're measuring up, you're always using comparison, right? So you're always figuring out if you're better than someone or worse than someone. Here's the problem with comparison. I mean, there's many problems with comparison, and we know we shouldn't do it, but we're, we're born this way. We just innately do this. When you're comparing yourself to someone else, if you are the one who wins the race, if you are the one who has the better stuff, the car, the house, the clothes, or your mom, in fact, owns the Dairy Queen, I mean, whatever it is, when you are better and you find yourself coming out on top, it leads to this thing called pride, doesn't it? Like it's it's ugly, actually. I mean, even if we don't want it, 
It just feeds our ego and it feeds our pride. But here's the other challenge with comparison. You can maybe sometimes come out on top, but many times when you compare yourself with others, you find people who actually are better than you. You know what I mean? You find yourself the loser, the one who couldn't complete the race, the one who knocked the hurdles down, the one who doesn't have the stuff, the clothes, the successes, the car, whatever the comparison is. And then it leads to discouragement. So you don't win either way. You actually do not win either way when you play the game of comparison. Jesus in this parable today addresses our need to actually prove ourselves, not just to be better than others, but to actually gain approval from God. And he's going to answer the question, what makes a person right with God? What gets your approval from God? Pastor Dave has reminded us when he kicked off this series that Jesus told parables or these stories, I would call them word pictures. I mean, whenever Jesus, whenever you hear a parable, it's actually Jesus telling a word picture. He's using a picture to illustrate a truth. And it's a way that we can learn about the kingdom of God. We learn about who God is himself, or we learn about who we are or how we relate with other people. Well, today in Luke, this is a very short parable, but I believe one of the most profound teachings of Jesus. There's two characters in the story. There's two prayers in the story, and there's two different hearts or attitudes in this story. It's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. I want to take you to Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. And this this short parable actually illustrates profound spiritual truth. In fact, this parable... Jesus is telling, and he's telling them, his audience, and he's telling us today, so we could actually understand the essence of the gospel itself. Are you ready? Today we're going to look at this story for two reasons. The first reason is I want you to put yourself in the story. You see, that's the point of a parable. You've got to find yourself in the story. Who are you in the story, and what is the lesson for you? The second reason that I'm going to tell this parable today is, and and what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a modern day parable, and I'm going to give you a picture. That's why I've got my whiteboard here this morning. I get to play teacher this morning. But I'm going to give you a tool because I want you to be able to, like Jesus, go and share the gospel with someone this week. I want to equip you this morning to be able to share a parable or draw a picture. You see, Jesus always had an audience in mind when he's telling the story. And when we look at verse 9, it tells us exactly who the audience was. It reads this, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Well, it's pretty clear. Jesus is telling this parable to some who think they're better than everyone else. Now, who are the some? Well, the some are the Pharisees. Dave told us who the Pharisees were a couple weeks ago. The Pharisees are those who were diligent. They were respected. 
religious leaders. They diligently followed God. They were literalists, meaning they literally obeyed to the letter of the law. They kept all the ceremonies and all the traditions of the faith as were outlined in the Old Testament. And they were confident. When the scripture uses that word, to some who were confident, it wasn't just a healthy confidence. The Greek word actually means that they looked down on, they despised, they rejected others. This is, my mom's better than your mom. You know, it's that kind of thinking. They actually made a public show of how religious and how good they were, and they wanted to make sure other people saw it to some. Character number one, Jesus says this, well, there were two men, and they went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, those robbers, those evildoers, those adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. See, God, I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get, just in case God hadn't noticed. You see, it's pretty obvious as this Pharisee is standing in the temple, Jesus says, well, he was praying with his eyes open. Now, is it wrong to pray with your eyes open? I would say no. In fact, I pray lots throughout my day with my eyes open. I pray in my car when I'm driving. I pray when I'm doing dishes. I pray when I'm sitting at my desk. But the point is he was praying with his eyes open because he was more concerned about what was going, that people were noticing him. I mean, how would he have seen that tax collector over there in his prayer had he not been looking for a show? The Pharisee in this story is the epitome of self-justification. God, I thank you, he begins his prayer. Now, usually when we begin our prayer with God, I thank you, it's usually I thank you, God, for what? Who you are, how great you are, for all you've done for me. But no, listen to this guy's prayer. He's like, I thank you, God, for myself. I mean, really, that's the essence of his prayer. God, thank you so much for me. I am so terrific. In fact, I bet you're glad I'm on your team, God, and I'm not like these, this low life over here. In fact, God, let me remind you of the list of all the great things that I've done for you. I fast, and typically a fast would be twice a week, Monday and Thursday, be bread and water. That would be the typical acceptable, acceptable fast. I tithe. I give, I give 10% of everything. Like, God, just in case you forget, these are the things that I've done for you. Aren't I terrific, God? I bet right now, God, you're just so thankful that you made me. I mean, think of this guy's prayer. Four times in this prayer, he refers to himself. I thank you, God, is the end of God in the prayer, and the rest is all about him. There's no element of praising God, of thanking God for who he is, of acknowledging who God is and what he has done. There's no element in this prayer of actually confession of his need to forgive his sins. Um, perhaps, you know, he doesn't believe he has anything to confess. I mean, this guy is pretty confident he measures up. 
you know, his mom is better than everyone else's mom, and he's better than else than everybody else, and you know what I mean? Like, he's going to win the race every time. He is good with God, and he's going to make sure God knows it and everybody else. Well, the story goes on. It says in verse 13, But the tax collector, he stood at a distance. He would not even look up at the heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Wow. I mean, this tax collector, notice it said he stood afar off. You see, he wouldn't have been even accepted to stand by the Pharisee in the temple. They were looked down on. They were disassociated with. They were shunned because they were connected with Rome. They collected the tax for Rome, and everybody looked down on them as if they were in cohorts with Rome, and they loathed them. This posture of this man demonstrates that he understood his position. He understood his unworthiness before God. And look where his eyes were. He was unable to lift them up. He wasn't looking around at anybody else. He actually understood and was carrying the weight of his guilt and his shame. And he was overcome by his own unworthiness, his own ability to measure up. He physically beats his breast. I mean, he wasn't concerned with anybody else in that room. You know what I mean? When you are praying a prayer like this, when you are in that kind of posture, that's between you and God. He's not looking good to anybody else, is he? He is sorrow and repenting for his sin. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. There's no summary of his good deeds. He's not reminding God of anything that he did great that week or even good. But his focus in his prayer is so simple. God, have mercy on me. You know, I love the word mercy. The word mercy is so powerful. The word mercy actually means to cover. And when one needs mercy... When they need a covering, they can't actually cover themselves. They can't achieve it. They can't do it for themselves. They have to allow another to cover them. That's what mercy is. It's like a garment that is put over a person given by another to cover them and grants them mercy. He simply wanted to be right with God, didn't he? Look at Jesus' response in the parable. He says, I tell you the truth. I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, that Pharisee, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see, God hears the prayer of the tax collector the one who humbles himself, the prayer that speaks, those kinds of prayers speak to the very ears of God. The prayer of mercy, the prayer of a calling out for a covering, enters the ears of God. And it's exactly what God needs to hear from us 
And that man, Jesus said, went home justified. Now, what does it mean to be justified? Well, it really means to measure up. It really means to be declared righteous. I mean, there's a little saying I remember being taught as a young girl that justified means just as if I'd never sinned. It's like you don't deserve it, but you're made right. You're given a covering. You are justified. You are given right standing before God. You are accepted by God. Two different characters two very different prayers, right? Two very different hearts. The Pharisee prayed this prayer out of pride in his heart. He was going to the temple to pray with the condition of his heart, and he might as well have stayed home, right? You see, a proud, we do not enter into prayer, into conversation with God out of a heart of pride, But the tax collector actually prayed out of a heart of humility. He exhibits precisely what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Do you remember it? Matthew 5, verse 3, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit actually means those who admittingly, they have nothing to offer before God, that they recognize that they come to God empty, impoverished, bankrupt, desperate beggars. The tax collector actually recognizes his sinful condition, and he seeks the only thing that can bridge the gap between himself and God, mercy. Mercy. God hears the prayer of have mercy on me. When we pray out of the prayer of calling out to God for mercy, he gives boundless, unending love and forgiveness. He accepts us and he makes us new. Colossians 3.13 says it this way, and this is the New Living Translation. It says, you were dead. You, were, you didn't measure up. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature, not just the sins, the things you do, but actually you in yourself are born sinful. And you have a sinful nature, and it was not yet cut away or made new, as the Scripture talks about. But then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. The forgiveness of sins only comes from a merciful God. Salvation then comes through confessing of our sins. You actually have to understand that you need mercy. Salvation is a gift, and it requires us to humble ourselves and ask for forgiveness. If you come to God simply wanting a free ticket into heaven, I mean, let's be real. How many of us just don't want to go to hell, to that place where we are separated from God, where there is judgment? We want to be with God. We want to be in heaven. We want to be with him for eternity. I mean, don't you want a free ride? Well, salvation is not just saying, well, I believe in Jesus that you exist, because Scripture says the demons actually believe that Jesus exists, that God exists. 
That doesn't make you a Christian. That doesn't give you salvation. It's actually not good enough. We actually have to repent of our sin and recognize our need for mercy. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. And it leaves, what? No regret. No regret when you have godly sorrow for your sin. But worldly sorrow, it brings death. If you're just sorry that you got caught, you're not really repenting, right? When you're sorry for your sin and you, have, you recognize your need for forgiveness, then you're coming to a place of repentance. Dwayne Klein shared this statement last Sunday when he was here with us. He says, you can't be a Christian and think you don't deserve hell. Now, that might be an offensive statement to some of you and some of you even listening. You can't be a Christian and think you don't deserve hell. The actual truth of the gospel is that we all deserve hell. We do not deserve to be in heaven. We do not deserve a salvation, actually. None of us deserve it. What we deserve in our brokenness and sin is hell itself. He quoted a quote from Francis Chen. It says this, Lukewarm people don't really want to be saved from their sin, just the penalty of the sin. You know, there's so many people... And it's easy, even in a room this size, for some of you that may be wearing or claiming you have the name of Christian, but actually you, you haven't really experienced true salvation. You just don't want to suffer the penalty of sin. You don't really want to be saved from your sin. It's a challenging statement. You see, there's no amount of good works No church attendance, no tithing, fasting, community service, loving your neighbor, or anything else that makes you good enough. You could be the best person in this room, better than all the rest of us. Up at North Durham, you could be the best one there, those listening online. You can be better than your neighbor, better than your family members, better than your co-workers. It doesn't matter. It's not sufficient enough. Your goodness is not sufficient enough to free you from the judgment of sin to make you right to be able to stand before God. And that is why Jesus came. That's it. That is why Jesus came. You will never measure up to God but Jesus. But Jesus. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is so powerful when you understand how desperately you need him. Hebrews 9 says this, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So Christ, he was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. If you think like the Pharisee in this story that you're better than others, that your goodness will make you right with God, that then actually you're mocking the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I say that again? If you think that you're good enough, worthy enough, that you can somehow achieve approval with God because of your goodness, because of what you have achieved or how you're even better than others, you are mocking the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why would Jesus come, suffer such a death, if all it requires us to be, to be good enough? that we could actually get to God on our own. If you're saying that you're good enough, that you don't need Jesus, that he didn't really need to die, that 
that you can actually be good enough and measure up based on all your own merits. Scripture says there's no salvation, there's no being good enough, there's no reaching the mark without going through the cross of Christ. You see, in the Old Testament, they shed blood regularly. It was required for them to sacrifice animals day after day after day in the temple on behalf of the sins of the people. But the scripture says, once Jesus came. Once. We just needed his shed blood once to cover all of sin for eternity. Mercy. Mercy. That's the gospel. If you don't think you need mercy, then you can't receive it. John 14, 6 says this. Jesus answered, I am the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And no one comes to the Father. No one measures up to the Father. No one meets the Father's standard or expectation except through me. Jesus spoke often of the issue of righteousness. He pleaded with those hearing as he's pleading with us today and those people in those days when he told this parable to understand our utter inability to be righteous, to attain attain the kingdom of heaven. It's essential that we understand this is the reason Jesus came to earth. It is the primary reason Jesus came to earth. So I pause. Who are you? Who are you in the story? Now, be really real about this. This isn't a question that you can just skirt over and go, well, you know, I'll think about it later. Are you the Pharisee? And before you say, well, no, no, I'm not a religious leader, and I don't think I'm better than others, like, really? I would have to say, in all honesty, that I have been a Pharisee in my life. I just have to be real about that. You see, I've had the privilege of being raised in the church and knowing the gospel and, and having good teaching. And, and I, I just, I have to be honest. I don't want to be a Pharisee. Nobody wants to be a Pharisee. But so often, we think we're better than others, don't we? Even those of us who follow Jesus, we can have the heart of a Pharisee. We can come to God with pride in our hearts, thinking we don't need anything from God. Like, we got this thing covered. Are you the Pharisee? Or are you the Pharisee because you don't even think you need Jesus? Like, you are just good enough. Like, why would you need mercy? You're better than the next guy. And actually, maybe you are. Maybe you're better than most Christians you've ever met. Jesus says, actually, it doesn't matter. You need mercy. That's the only way. Maybe you are the tax collector and... I've asked the Lord this week to make me the tax collector again. Give me the heart of the tax collector. Have mercy on me, a sinner. I've asked the Lord this week as I was preparing to examine my own pride in my heart and to remind me of my deep need of salvation. Even if you've followed Jesus for years, do you understand the cost of salvation? Do you understand the mercy that God has poured out over on you? Maybe today you're thinking, I know I'm a wretched sinner. 
I know I don't deserve anything from God. In fact, I don't think God would ever love me. I have never done anything good enough in my life. I say, good for you. You're ready for salvation. Jesus says, those who humble themselves will be exalted. Well, you know, as I reflected on this parable this week, and I thought about how Jesus told stories and how we remember stories, I want to give you two stories because as I've had conversations with many people in our church and even in my own life lately, I feel of deep conviction that not only do we need a reminder of the truth of the gospel, but we actually need to be equipped to share the gospel with others. Like if, just to answer this question really honestly, when was the last time you ever explained the gospel to anybody? Like really, I mean, maybe you're living an exemplary life as a Christian and that's part of our witness. But really, the scripture says we need to tell the gospel. We need to explain our faith. We need to be able to tell others what we actually believe. You know, obviously, I'm a pastor. I I have the privilege even of traveling and speaking, and I get opportunities, even like today, to explain the gospel to a lot of people. But there's nothing better than sitting down across the table with somebody, pulling out the napkin at the restaurant or the little piece of paper and saying, let me tell you what the gospel is. You know, two of my kids are involved right now in a church plant It's a brand new church they're planning in Oshawa, in sort of the hard part of Oshawa. The church is all about sharing the gospel. I mean, this church is only about 25 people right now, and they're getting, they just literally go door to door, and every week they share the gospel. They literally explain the gospel to people. And I've watched my son and my daughter-in-law. My daughter-in-law said to me, you know, I've had this friend from high school for years. She knows I'm a Christian, I mean, you know, I were in ministry, and she went and studied at Tyndale. She even went to do missionary work in Africa. It's pretty obvious she's a Christian. She said, but I realized that I've never explained the gospel to her. We've been friends for years, and, but I've never actually told her the gospel. And because of what they're doing in this church plant, she called up her friend. She said, you know, I'd like to meet you for coffee, and And I'd actually like to tell you what I actually believe. Would you be open to that? And her friend said, well, sure. Like, you know, we're, of course I'm open. And so they met and had coffee and talked. And and Sylvia began to draw a picture, something like the one I'm going to draw for you. Years of friendship since high school. And this young woman said, thank you for explaining it to me. I know that you followed Jesus. I know you're a Christian but I actually never understood what you believed. And that night she accepted Jesus. Just because, yeah, absolutely. Because Sylvia said, I have to obey. I need to tell her the gospel. We can't expect people to come to Jesus if we don't tell them how to get there. More so in our day and age, people are unchurched. People do not know the gospel. The media certainly doesn't help us, right? We have to share the gospel. This isn't whether you're, about, whether you're an evangelist or not. You know, it's not about a spiritual gift. This is about faithfulness to be able to share what we actually believe. And I don't say that to guilt trip you. I say that because I carry a deep conviction, a renewed conviction in my own life. 
when was the last time that I actually explained the gospel to someone? So let me explain the gospel to you. Let me draw you a picture, and if you have a piece of paper, if you have a napkin or something in your purse or anything that you can draw on, I want you to draw this picture. It'll be easy to remember, hopefully. It's simple. But you can take this picture, and this week, maybe even today, you could pull a napkin out in a restaurant. You could be sitting at your kitchen table, and you can illustrate the gospel. It goes something like this. This is us. Here we are. Us people that God created. Here's God. Way up here. You see, God is holy and just and and right. And he is perfect. And man, we're like way down here. So if I was to ask you, how are you doing in your relationship with God? On this continuum, you know, like between yourself and God, like, how are you doing with that? I often have conversations with people like this, and some might say, well, I'm a pretty good person, you know. I might be, I put myself right about there, maybe. You know, I'm not too bad. I'm not, I'm not worse. I'm not like those low lives, you know, the tax collector types. I, I, I'm not as good as some other people. I mean, let's face it, Mother Teresa, I'd say, you know, maybe she'd be way up here somewhere. But you see, Mother Teresa, if you actually read her journals or writings, she'd say, oh, man, I have, I have struggled with sin. In fact, Mother Teresa had a hard time getting along with some of her staff and her team. Isn't that good to know that she was normal? You know, maybe you say, well, okay, maybe, maybe Mother Teresa's not. Well, what about Billy Graham? Like, Billy Graham was the best evangelist. I mean, he's got to be up here, you know. Like, he just has led so many people to the Lord, and so far there's no scandals on him. You know, he kept pretty clean through the whole thing. And, and then we have, like, Pastor Dave, you know. Pastor Dave, like, I'm sure he wouldn't put himself, you know, up above Mother Teresa. So we better put Pastor Dave down here somewhere. And so, you know, maybe are you good, are you are as good as Pastor Dave, you know. Pastor John we won't talk about because he's on sabbatical, so we'll leave him alone. But, you know, you can always find someone better than you, right? Maybe you put yourself right down here and say, well, I don't even know. I don't even know where I am with God. But you can have the conversation and say, like, how are you doing with this God? How are you doing in your relationship with God? Like, do you know God? Or have the conversation. And then here's a modern-day parable. Imagine that this is, we all go to the far east coast of Canada, and we stand on the coast, uh, we stand on the shore at St. John's, Newfoundland. Has anyone been there? It's very rocky, very cold water, right? But we're all going to go there. And we're going to stand on the shore right here, St. John's, Newfoundland. And you see, we are going to swim to Ireland. Here's Ireland. We are going to swim to Ireland. I know it's a terrible, awful thought. But if you're Irish, you might be really excited about this as Pastor Dave. Well, we got a few Irish people there. Pastor Dave, Pastor Jillian, they're both Irish. I mean, they would just love this parable. So here we are. We're standing on the shore of Ireland, and we're told to swim to Ireland. Well, the reality is some of us aren't even stepping in the water because we just are, it's just frankly too cold, and we are just not going there. You know what I'm saying? Some of us may step off the shore. We may even get in the water and swim a few lengths, you know, a few strokes. Some of us, like 
Pastor Dave and maybe Pastor Jillian, people who are Irish, maybe they know the way to Ireland. They will maybe get, you know, way down here somewhere in the water on the way to Ireland. But let's be real. Take the best swimmer in the entire world, those who have swam the English Channel. Oh, my goodness, Lord have mercy. Those who have swum the, the, the Great Lakes. I mean, I do not understand this. But take the best, the best of the best. Outswim all of us. They're not getting to Ireland. You know what I'm saying? Nobody is swimming to Ireland. None of us qualify. But Jesus, look what God does. You see, God wants us, not necessarily to get to Ireland, but he wants us to get to him. He wants a relationship. He wants to bring us from here to there in relationship. So what does he do, this great God of ours? He sends himself. He sends his son, Jesus, and he dies on a cross, and he becomes flesh. He hangs out on earth. He sets an example for us about what it means to live a life that is holy. And God himself sends his son to die on a cross. Now, did he do this just for himself? Like, does that make God feel better about himself to do that? Like, why would a God who is perfect and holy do this? The most cruel death you could die, public disgrace on a cross. Well, you see, Romans 3.23 tells us, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one's getting to Ireland. Nobody's getting to God on their own. It doesn't matter where you fall in this continuum. You could be Billy Graham and the best of the best, or little old me. But all, none of us are getting to God in our own merits. And here's what God does. Not only does he send his son, he comes after us. And he takes all this brokenness, all this unworthiness, all this every way that we think we can achieve right, rightness with God. And he comes to us and he says, I actually will take this on myself. I'm going to take all your sin, all your unworthiness, all your shame, all your lack of achievement in trying to please a righteous God, and I'm going to put it on me. You see, the power of the gospel, please hear this. You cannot be right with God on your own. But Ephesians says, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so nobody can boast about their stuff. Right? It's a gift of God. The scripture, scripture says that he bore our sins on his body on the tree. He took our sin, all this messed up stuff, and he puts it on himself. You see, he wore our sin. He bore it. He took everything on himself. All of our unworthiness. 
he took it on himself. I mean, what an incredible, merciful God. He says, if you put your faith in me, if you trust in me, if you believe that I took your sin, that I will take all of your shame, your brokenness, your messed up life, then you will receive salvation. And here's what he does. You ready? This is the most fantastic part of the gospel. Not only does he take our sin, but he then puts us in right standing with God himself. Here we are, right standing. we got to draw a happy face on this guy. He is made right. Why? Because of the stuff that he did to achieve it? No, because of the mercy of God. The mercy of God. Jesus takes his very own righteousness, his robe of righteousness, and he takes it off himself and he puts it over us. He places it around us and he said, you are made right because of my clothes of righteousness. I'm going to cover you with mercy. I'm going to blot out all your sin and your unworthiness. It doesn't matter what a failure you think you are or how good you think you are. You get to wear my clothes. The mercy of God. How great is our salvation? How great is the gospel? I would hate to follow a God who requires me to be good enough. I'd fail every time. I'd knock over the hurdles every time. I mean, what kind of a God would that be? But God actually gives all of himself. He just requires us to receive him. You see, if you think you can get to God any other way, you are mocking the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. You mock the cross because the cross is where sin was canceled. The enemy was defeated. You see, Jesus didn't stay on the cross. He was exalted and resurrected. We have a live God who not only forgives us our sin, but when he closes, closes us and gives us the garment of mercy and righteousness, he gives us the Holy Spirit himself. He fills us up. And you see, you get new life. This is a new life right here. You don't have to walk down here in this old way of life that leads to death. You get new life. You get a life that is all the power that's available to Jesus, everything he accomplished on the cross, everything he did when he rose from the grave, you get it. That's how you live the Christian life. If you do not understand the essence of the gospel, then what are you putting your faith in? You know, maybe as you hear this this morning, you think, I never knew that. I actually didn't understand the gospel. I actually maybe have just come back to church and I'm just trying to make myself right with God. I'm just trying to, you know, humble, to, to reconnect with God. And thank you for telling me the gospel today. I believe it. I receive what Jesus did for me. I understand it's not because of my own goodness, but because of how perfect and how great and wonderful was the sacrifice of Jesus. The scripture, this, this tale ends, it says, for those who will humble themselves, they'll be exalted. You see, this takes humility. This takes humility to put your trust in a God and say, God, lift me up. You do it, God. That's beyond my pay grade, you know? 
He says, for those who will humble themselves will be exalted. Right after Jesus told this parable, it says in Luke 18, people were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to them, and he said this. Listen to Jesus. Let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Here's another word picture. You see, children have simple faith. I love hanging out with kids. I love their simple faith. I love their dependence. I love how they trust you when you tell them things. I love how they, they, they want guidance from you. You see, children need someone stronger than themselves, don't they? They need someone stronger than themselves. And Jesus is saying, if you have faith like a child, that you understand Jesus is stronger, that's all you need. That's what Jesus asks of you. This is how you come to know God like the faith of a child. This is how you actually find salvation when you understand it's not about you. It's all about what Jesus did. This is how you continue to approach God in prayer, in humility. And when you approach God with humility, he lifts you up. I'll ask the band to come up and join me, but this morning I I felt, you know, it was very clear to me what Jesus was asking of, of me to tell you this morning. So I just figure in many ways my job's done. You know, like Jesus just tells us to be faithful. Can I just tell you, when you share the gospel with people, that is your job. You have been found faithful. That, Jesus says, you, you go share the gospel. It will be Jesus' job and the work of the Holy Spirit to actually change a life. Right? That's the work of the Spirit. You can't make someone believe. In fact, don't even feel discouraged if they reject you because they rejected Jesus. But will you share the gospel with someone this week that you love and actually explain what you believe? And for those of you who right now, you know, I have not actually understood the gospel. I have been thinking that this salvation thing had to be on my own merits. What a relief it is to know it's all about Jesus. And today, I'm going to say yes to Jesus. So I want you to bow your heads. We're going to pray. I'm going to pray first for those of us who don't know Jesus. So if this is you and you're, in a sense, that tax collector, and today you say, I have heard the gospel, I want to receive the gospel, I want to put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, I want you to pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Forgive me for the the ways I've even tried to make myself right with you. Forgive me for the time, for all the, the sin in my life. Forgive me for my unbelief. Forgive me for perhaps trying to make myself look good to you and others. Have mercy on me, a sinner. I realize my desperate need of you. I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ today. I receive the forgiveness of sins because of the death of Jesus. By your death, Lord Jesus, by your shed blood, cover me in mercy. 
Cover me in mercy. Give me your clothes of righteousness. Make me right before you. I want to live a life. I welcome you, Holy Spirit. I commit my life to following you. I pray this in Jesus' name. For those of us who have known Jesus a long time, but you got to do business with God because you don't even remember if ever or the last time you actually told the gospel to someone else. I want you to ask the Lord to give you a name of a person. Who this week could you just sit down and have a conversation with and draw the picture? Just draw the picture. So in the quietness of this moment, you just ask God, who's that person? And then I just say, go do it. Go obey As we close in song, I want you to think about what Jesus is asking of you. And don't we have a great salvation? Don't we have a great salvation? Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.